Welcome back, all you college football fanatics out there. It is another edition of the Mike Farrell Sports Talk Show. My name is Adam, and as always, it would not be the Mike Farrell Sports Talk Show without Mike Farrell, the godfather of recruiting, who has hopped in again for another week. Mike, uh, how are we doing this week? We're getting closer to college football. Are you excited? Where, where are you at right now? Yeah, I'm a little scattered. You know, I mean, because there's hmm. the offseason, there's so many preseason lists. And then as you get closer to the season start, you can't do any more preseason lists. So you have to, like, you know, put them all together as quickly as possible. So a little scattered. And then once the season starts, everything will start to flow in. Um, but I'm going to be more concise. I've decided on these podcasts. Uh, I'm a little verbose. So I'm just going to be more concise and give my opinion and thoughts on it and then just let it sit at that. And we've got a juicy topic to start with, which I freaking hate. And, you know, I don't like talking about this, which I really happy games are coming on. Well, A, there's no chance in hell you're going to do that. And then B, um, make sure if you're following Mike again, M. Farrell Sports on uh, all the social media stuff, Twitter and Instagram, and MikeFarrellSports.com. If you can uh, bookmark that site for Mike, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. A lot of articles. He's, they're posting like five, six, seven articles yeah. a day, ramping up to the season. So a lot of good content there. Got a partnership coming up, too. That'll be exciting. We'll announce that soon. So, Wow. I'm lost in everything around here. Jeez. Well, a lot of people have learned something all at the same time, Mike, uh, and that you reference this Oklahoma, uh, Kale Gundy, a uh, longtime assistant coach there. Uh, all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, Sunday night, which is never the time you want to drop news, all of a sudden a tweet comes out. Basically, you know, Kale Gundy says, hey, I'm, I'm leaving Oklahoma. Um, and the, at that point, the story was he had said a word that he repeated while reading something off an iPad and that uh, he was obviously embarrassed by this word, recognized that was not acceptable, and he decided he was going to step away. You had initial reaction to that. So let me just pause here, Mike. Let me get that initial reaction, that first nugget, which was Kale Gundy telling you, hey, read a word on an iPad, shouldn't have done it, my bad, but I got to step away. Your reaction when you heard that piece of the story was what? Well, and I called around too, you know, to try to find as much background information on it as I could. And you know, who's in the room and, and what was going on and all this other stuff and, and the information that I got. And nobody wants to talk about this. You know, you, you hit up people that you've known forever or coaches or, you know, administrators or whatever. And this particular topic, uh, they're not going to give you much information. So you dig and dig and dig. And what I found on Monday was that, you know, he took a player's iPad away and he read what was you know, on the player's iPad, what are you written? Um, you know, sort of a what's so important, you're not paying attention type of thing. Uh, and my first assumption was, and, you know, what I was led to believe was that he did this in the heat of the moment um, and read it without thinking. And once he came to the word, um, he stopped after that. So my initial reaction was, let's not ruin this man's life over this, he's did something dumb, you know, and he shouldn't have done it. Um, but the cancel culture and all this other stuff, I'm like, this guy's been a coach forever. I know many, many people that know him. I know many, many people have vouched for him, you know, from recruits to players to other coaches at different universities. Um, you know, let's not jump here and say that he should be fired. And then of course, more information came out. And I have changed my tune now, not because I think, I don't think Kale Gundy is a racist. Everybody I've talked to, it, it, it's uniformed consensus that he's not a racist individual, but he's dumb and mm. stupid. You know, you can't tolerate stupid when it comes to, um, you know, inflammatory racial expressions. You just can't, you just can't. So. So then, you know, obviously came out, Brent Venables came out with a statement because they were getting a lot of backlash too, yes, not only from yes. the media, but from boosters and all this other stuff. Um, and he came out and said that he read it aloud numerous times. And that changed everything for me. I still don't think, you know, Kale Gundy is racist based on everybody I've spoken to. But the level of stupidity there, I, I can't defend uh, in this day and age, any day and age, but in this day and age, you, you obviously have to be very uh, cognizant in any field. I don't care if you're working at McDonald's or you're working at the University of Oklahoma. 
You have to be smarter than that. Common sense stupidity drives me insane. I don't care if you're a smart person, what your GPA was, whether you went to college, whatever. You can be very good at what you do in many different facets without a great education, without being book smart. But common sense is common sense. And he didn't show any of it. And I just can't, I can't back any other um, situation than, than forcing him to resign because he has no common sense. So is that how you think this went down? Do you think this got back to Brent Venables or somebody in the leadership position and the athletic department? And basically the word was, Hey, Kale, two options here. One, you resign Two, we, you know, we'll let you go with cause. And, and you think, you think that's how that conversation took place? Yeah. Well, I do believe there's somebody in the room from what I've learned. There was somebody in the room that, that brought this to a higher level. You know, everybody from what I understand was like, there was nobody offended immediately. There was nobody saying, you know, listen, hey, that's wrong. Stop, whatever. Um, there was actually just, just locker room type of response to it. And then somebody obviously took it from that room to a high level. Uh, and then once it reached the administration level beyond Venables, it was done. I mean, and, you know, as critical of the administration, because this is, the same, you know, these are the same people that let Joe Mixon play again, you know, after, you know, being on video punching a female. Uh, And they suspended him for a year, obviously, disciplined, but they they allowed him to resurrect his career for something very egregious. So I was like, this same university that did that, why are we, you know, why is there no tolerance policy at this stage for what he did? but then I started thinking, would I ever do that? Um, what's the common sense thought process here? Uh, and I just can't defend the, 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 the stupidity of it. So, so I, I get what happened. It's really, it's unfortunate for, for Venables. You know, this isn't how you want to start your, your regime in Oklahoma. You haven't even coached a game. Um, this is a guy that you were on staff with way way back in the day when bob stoops took over and all this other stuff and you know it's really an unfortunate situation for him because it's not about football it's about something else um i had i had many coaches reach out to me after i wrote my initial take of let's not ruin his life and they were in agreement and we're talking you know african-american coaches we're talking all ethnicities were in agreement with me uh, but then I had to rethink it all when I found out, you know, this was purposely read. Because again, that heat of the moment thing, you know, if I pick up a phone and I'm reading something for the very first time and I'm not looking ahead at what I'm reading and I, I, I you know, say something that's on the screen that I shouldn't, then that's a different story. Then knowing what it is, saying it and repeating it over and over again. It's completely different from what the initial report was. What do you make of a venable statement? I mean, I, that that really struck me as as interesting. To your point, there was some backlash. There were some former players, including Joe Mixon, by the way, which is um, which is kind of an ironic twist on this whole thing. Basically saying, "Hey, th- this isn't right. We shouldn't do this." And and there was kind of an uproar, a fervor, if you will. What did you make of Venables having to put out a statement where essentially? By all accounts, he's you know telling everybody what happened, right? I mean, in some cases, I'm sure a lot of companies, a lot of business will want to keep that in-house, no longer with us, we wish him well, move to the best, we're moving on. For Venables to have to come out and explain that, how how unique or how how rare is it to see something like that? Well, it, it, we're in a world of social media and you know, everybody having an opinion, and obviously the 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 outraged 10% acting like they're the hundred percent and people looking for reasons to be outraged. So let's say this occurred and they tried to sweep it under the rug, or let's say they knew this happened and they suspended them. There's no winning in this situation at all. If they do that, everybody's going to say, well, okay, you condone racism. So they do what they did. And then everybody's saying, well, you condone cancel culture. So he had to come out and verify. I'm sure we're going to hear more. I don't think this is done. And and the cryptic tweet, uh, tweet by his uh, daughter, uh, which was deleted, which says, you know, why don't you tell him what really happened in the room? It's got me interested. Um, mm. But I do know this, you know, 
Tail Gundy's not a fall on your sword type of guy. He knows what he did was irreparable. But I think we're going to find a lot more information as to how the administration handled this, uh, as to what his termination, you know, um, terms are mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, and it's just going to be the focus of the next few weeks for Oklahoma football. Um, and so, you know, people say, okay, well, you shouldn't react to the first one. You shouldn't react to the second one. Well, I have to, it's my job. So I react initially, wrote an article. Then I react the next day and wrote another article. As more information comes, we react. It's just like a football game. You can't write the final score in the first quarter. And I think we're probably right around a halftime here. Um, yeah. We still got the third and fourth quarter to go, and we're going to get more information. Do we know, was this a uh, a wide receivers meeting? Was this an offensive meeting? Do we have any idea what, what the meeting was and who may have been there? From my understanding, it was a position meeting. Okay. So it was a wide receiver meeting. Uh, from my understanding, there there was a wide receiver that, you know, on the team that butted heads with them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's the individual that went, you know, and, and listen, nobody's going to, you're not going to have anybody who like everybody likes. Um, you're going to have guys, you know, that, that feel they should be starter or feel they should be higher on the depth chart or should be getting more catches or what. You can't make anybody completely happy and no matter what you do. Um, so I think this was a situation had everybody in the room, you know, all loved Kale Gundy and been happy with everything that this wouldn't have even left the room, but it did. And here we are. Um, and I think also there's a fear that, you know, everybody can say, okay, well, this just happened, closed doors, this is private. Then there's a fear that someone's going to go rogue and put it out there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so you have to get ahead of it as well. It's just an unfortunate situation for everybody involved. Um, but there's also, there has to be, you know, so people, some people, the backlash initially, you know, towards me is, well, you're, you're, you're no longer, you know, backing him. And I was never backing him, but you're no longer talking about cancel culture now because you're talking about stupidity and lack of common sense. What about racism? I don't think this is about racism. I mean, it is, but I, again, I, everybody I've talked to over and over again, unless he's fooled us is what I've been told. This is not a racist individual, but again, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Yeah. You have to be smart and you can't be stupid, especially when you're dealing with young men and you're dealing with, um, you know, uh, higher education, you have to be more responsible than what he was. So, now I understand why they took the action they took. No easy transition. Uh, obviously, this probably pales in comparison. But what impact does you think this has on the field for Oklahoma with a coaching move this close to the start of the season? Obviously, a, a new staff coming together, new offensive coordinator, you know, new quarterback, new head coach. You know, any impact on field based on this move happening right now? Yeah, I mean, there will be. He, he's a long-established coach. You know, he's a holdover. He had a tremendous comfort level at Venables, and I think there will be some impact. Does that mean they're going to not be as effective offensively? I don't think that's the case. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, they're promoting from within. Um, it, it, the, they've got an analyst uh, that is well-versed in – you know, the, the wide receiver room and well-versed in the offense. And they've been working, you know, with this, you know, Jeff Levy type of offense with new personnel. You know, they've got new wide receivers. Caleb's gone. Dylan's in. You know, the Hasselwood's gone. Mario Williams is gone. I think it's all going to be a transition regardless. This doesn't mm-hmm. help it, though. Um, but this doesn't mean there's going to be, you know, three less catches on a, on the opening Saturday. It just means that this makes a difficult situation more difficult. Well, let's see how it impacts them uh, on the field, Mike. And, and one of the early indicators that would maybe help us understand how people think, although this is probably done prior to this news, mm-hmm. is the uh, the coaches poll came out. So the preseason coaches poll, the, the top 25 was released. We're having, we have it on screen if you're following along with us here on YouTube. For those who can't see, top five. Uh, Notre Dame, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State second, and Alabama Ryan, uh, rounds out at number one, Mike. So, uh, A, how much stock do you put in the preseason coaches poll? Or are you living and dying by this thing? 
I'm not living and dying by it. Obviously, there's people who think that we shouldn't even have a poll, you know, until midway of the season. Um, and the polls do impact uh, quite a bit. You have teams that are overrated in the poll, lose a game early, but still remain, you know, higher ranked. They fall 10 spots. And then they we realize by midseason or, or, or three or four games in that they're, they stink. But teams get credit for beating them. You know, so for example, Texas A&M, right? So um, I, I forget which season it was. It was a few years ago, it was maybe 2019, but they were, you know, preseason ranked fairly high and they stunk. They weren't very good. Um, maybe it was 2018. I, I Don't hold me on either, which whichever season it was. Um, but we didn't realize they weren't very good until, you know, a few games in and, and people were, you know, cashing those in as top 25 victories. Um, that's what the po- the coaches poll does. It's stupid. Um, and then you get down to 18 and you see a first place vote for Texas and you realize how stupid it is and that it doesn't matter. But it's fodder for us to talk about. Um, it leads to expectations. And I wouldn't, it, it, let's say if they got rid of the coaches poll altogether and said, we're not going to do this till week five, I would be upset because mm. the hell else am I going to do in August except talk about this stupid poll. So I like it. I, I don't live and die by it, though. Texas A&M uh, uh, ranks seventh, at least in this poll, Mike. Who who surprises you on this list? For for those who are following along, you got Texas at eighteen. Uh, that wouldn't seem interesting, no. Yeah, that's too high. I mean, obviously they were five and seven last year. They lost to Kansas. I don't see what what you know. They, they got Quinn Ewers. He's untested. I think he's going to be great. I think he's got a chance to be great. They've got Bijan and Xavier Worthy. They've added Isaiah Nair on offense. Hopefully, the offensive line's better and the defense will be solid. But that's a little high. Uh, I think you know when you look at other teams here, Pitt has lost a lot for yep. them to be that high. You know, losing Kenny Pickett to the first round, losing Jordan Addison. That's they got a really good defense though, and a lot of people don't know those guys. USC's way high. I mean. You know, we four and eight last year. Um, I, I, it's been a while since I've seen a poll with so many losing teams or teams, you know, on the cusp of losing. I, most of these other teams were, were victorious last season. But when you see four and eight and five and seven up that high, you have to sort of question it. I think Utah is too low. Um, you know, I, I just don't see how, to me, the best team in the Pac-12 is is down that far. Um, you know, eight and, for Utah and Notre Dame's a little bit high. I mean, they, they, they really, I mean, they lost a lot. Um, you know, they, they've got a, a, a quarterback situation, um, you know, a competition there. They lost their best running back, um, you know, and, and defensively, you know, they lost their leader and their best player, but I guess you could point that out on every team, you know, Georgia, lost a ton mm-hmm. of, of players and everybody yeah. loses talent. I, I just think that when you're, when you're talking about the number five team in the country being Notre Dame based on their schedule, I could see Michigan, at, you know, their schedule is easy. I just don't think Notre Dame's schedule and what they lost equals number five, especially with a new coach. Um, so that, that kind of puzzles me in Utah. Like I said, um, really needs to be higher. The dangerous team here is NC State. You know, Clemson's in it at four, and everybody yep. expects them to win the ACC. They might not even win their division. I mean, NC State is – they have a very good offensive line. They they lost Icky Iquanu, uh, but their offensive line is still really, really good. They lost uh, their two best running backs. There's question marks there. Um, they lost their best wide receiver. But they've got Devin Leary and a really good defense that not a lot of people know about. Um, and I think they're going to put in place um, some some breakout guys at wide receiver, tight end, running back. Uh, and if Leary stays healthy, I think they're a very, very dangerous football team. Uh, ranked number 13 to, to start, Mike. What did you make of Cincinnati checking at 22? Obviously, the darling from last year made the playoff. Lost a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. A uh, ton of NFL guys you know, from that roster are now playing on, on Sundays. Uh, but they check in at 22, the highest group of five team on the yeah. list. What did you make of Cincinnati? A little high. Um, but we all know there's going to be a group of five team that makes a push. 
Um, mm-hmm. So why not give Cincinnati the benefit of the doubt? I mean, a lot of people look at Houston, they look at SMU as being extremely dangerous teams in that conference, um, yeah. you know, based on the offense. I mean, Mordecai and Tune and, um, you know, what they can do. I think Houston should be higher. Um, you know, when I look at that roster, I see a whole lot of NFL talent. I, I yeah. see, you know, uh, from quarterback to wide receiver, to offensive line to edge guys, Houston is really loaded. Um, now I'm not sure I believe in their coach uh, as a great coach and a guy to take them to that next level. But I think the AAC is going to be extremely interesting this year. That's the conference somebody's going to make a push from, I believe. You know, just yeah. like last year. But I don't see anybody making the playoff. But I, I think you're going to see a push there. Could be Cincinnati, but I'm more inclined to say Houston. And uh, you know, we talked off camera. There's two teams outside the top 25. Uh, Tennessee is one that I think scares everybody because I think they're the third best team in the SEC East behind Kentucky, but they could be better. Kentucky's got a really good defense, good running game with Chris Rodriguez, Will Levis, tons of potential. But that Tennessee offense is very, very scary. Um, And then UCF, and and the reason I say UCF is because their roster talent is very good. They've added some key components in in the transfer portal. And... Gus has shown a slight willingness to change and mm-hmm. he's more loosey goosey now than he was at Auburn because he was tight. Florida um, man. Gus is here. Florida man. Gus is in full effect. Such a different human being. And I don't know him. I just know that the, the, the Gus at Auburn wouldn't, you know, he never followed me on Twitter. Probably hated everything I wrote. The Gus at UCF follows me on Twitter. We DM every once in a while. He's just so different than even when he was in high school, when he had Mitch Bustain back in high school, he was a very reserved um, you know, tight wad person. And now he's just different Gus. So I, I really do like UCF's, you know, ability if they can, if they can get consistent play at quarterback um, to, to potentially be a surprise. And then, you know, Tennessee, like I said, outside the top 25, Iowa not being in there surprises me a little bit. Um, not so much Penn State. I have Penn State as the fourth best team in their division. But for Iowa to, in my opinion, be the second best team in the Big Ten West and not being in there, um, that's a little strange to me, uh, especially when you see teams up there like Texas that haven't proven anything, like USC that haven't proven anything, like Pitt that have been decimated. Um, and you got four teams in the SEC West. Um, yeah. Maybe not enough Big Ten in there. Give, give me the Mike Farrell uh, top five. So what is the Mike Farrell preseason top five if you were uh, you're making this poll? Yeah, and I'm going to do that. Um, so this is off the cuff. This is okay. not really thinking No research, about it. Mike. This is just, no. Disclaimer. Just me, disclaimer. Just yep, here we absolutely go. Absolutely looking at it and saying, obviously, Alabama number one. Obviously, Ohio State number two. I've got them playing for the national championship. And I think there's a sizable drop-off after that. Um, then I would probably go Clemson and then Utah. Um, and I say that because, you know, Georgia's great. They lost so much on defense, but they're, they're reloading. Their offensive line's very good. They got two very good running backs. The mailman, can he do what he did before? You know, they've got offensive weapons. Eric Gilbert's going to be back. Um, you know, Adonai Mitchell could be a breakout guy. But there's something that tells me that there's not going to be two SEC teams, you know, this year. So what I'm doing is I'm looking at the power five and I'm taking four, one from each conference. So off the top of my head, I would go Clemson's going to win the ACC, but NC State's dangerous and Utah is going to win the Pac-12. And I think do it in a fashion where they can be a playoff team. This Utah team is really, really, really good. Um, You know, they lost Lloyd on defense. And everybody thinks that they're, you know, going to be decimated there. Well, they got Diabate coming in from Florida in the transfer portal. And that defense is nasty. And they've got, a, you know, a couple true freshmen that are going to impact on that side of things. And then the offense, you know, they've got three capable running backs. Um, Cam Rising is dangerous passing and running. Um, and I just think Whittingham's a great coach. And, and I think this is the year that Utah makes a push you know, more so than last year to, to make the playoff. So that configuration, you have big 12 being left out, right? So your, 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 your four don't include the big 12, no big 12 representation. The big 12 is wide open. 
Big 12 is the most open of all of them. You know, you could make an argument for the Pac-12, Oregon, you know, up north with, with Utah, but USC is the wild card there. But you assume Alabama is going to win the SEC. You assume Ohio State is going to win the Big 10. You assume Clemson is going to win the ACC. Big 12, you can't assume anything. Um, you know, Oklahoma has a new coach. You know, Dylan Gabriel is good. He's a freaking spider. Dylan Gabriel's oh. good. Um, but is he, you know, good enough? Uh, yeah. So you can make an argument there's a drop-off at quarterback. You could certainly make yes. an argument there's a drop-off at running back. You could yes. certainly make an argument there's a drop-off at wide receiver. You can make yes. an argument there's a drop-off at tight end. Austin Stogner's going South Carolina. Um, you can make an argument about a lot of those things. You can't make an argument that Texas is going to win the Big 12. There's too many unknowns there. So then who is it? Kansas State is the sleeper for me. I think they mm-hmm. have a really, really good roster up and down. Um, that is, when I dug into their roster, it's scary. It's the reason why I have Adrian Martinez ranked so high on my QB board is because of the, the weapons that he's going to have, how they're going to use Deuce Vaughn. But defensively, they got a lot of guys. Um, and then Oklahoma State. They're really good, too. I mean, Spencer Sanders had a couple bad games last year. Baylor, they're really good, too. But none of them are good enough, I think, to run the table. And I think it's going to have to be a run-the-table type of year or at least 11-1 and um, regular season and then win the Big 12 to go there. And I think there's too much parity. I think you're going to see Baylor beat Oklahoma State and then Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma. And I think that's how the Big 12 is going to shake out. So I can assume that the nuanced, well-researched, well-thought-out Mike Farrell Top 5 will be on MikeFarrellSports.com in the near future? Yeah, I'm going to do a Top 25. Um, I'm going to look at this coach's poll, and then I'm going to look at the AP poll, and I'm probably going to disparage every team. And I thought about disparaging every team, but how do I disparage Alabama? What is their weakness? That's the big question that I came up with. Um, Too many coaches. Too many coaches. (laughs) Too many analysts. Um, You know, you could make an argument for wide receiver. They lost Jamison Williams. Uh, mm-hmm. Jermaine Burton hasn't been healthy. Uh, Tyler Harrell was not, he was not overly productive at Louisville. He's fast. Um, you know, G Hall's gone. They, they've got guys. Uh, Latu's going to be a very good tight end. And, and you know, but they lost Billingsley. Um, so you could probably make a, a case that says the passing game could struggle a little bit. But when I put in the, the FSP, the Feral Sports Projection numbers for Bryce Young, which is based on a lot of different factors, came out with 51 touchdowns passing and almost 5,000 yards. So that kind of put a put a little, you know, nick in my passing game question. Um, they're loaded. They got four running backs. The defense is nasty. So if I were to disparage Alabama, it would be the wide receivers. If I disparage Ohio State, it's the defense. Um, you know, especially the linebacker play, I think has been subpar over the last many years. Um, so I might just go in and disparage everybody rather than just talk about this top 25 and who belongs where just, just disparage, because that's what people want on social media. They want disparagement and, and I'm here to give it to them. All right. Well, tune into Mike for He'll tell you why he hates your school. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that. Mike, we were talking a little bit, uh, you know, Pac-12, Big 12, Big 10. Uh, those three seem to be interconnected right now and not because of, of what's on the field, but what's off the field. And more importantly, what's on your TV? Obviously, TV contracts are the name of the game these days. Big 10 is in a negotiating window right now. And word broke on Tuesday morning, Mike, that ESPN said, no moss. We're going to walk away from a deal with the uh, with the Big 10. I think I saw it was seven for 380 million dollars but these are tier two tier three style games obviously with their their major package already going to fox espn bows out and says best of luck to you thoughts on the big 10 essentially giving espn the heisman and saying here's what we got and espn walking away from that great news for college football um and not for college football fans but for money the the inflation rate of the tv contract since 2020 is like 25 percent that's astronomical. Um, we're already seeing a tier two Big Ten game get as much as a tier one 330 spot did in 2020. So that's good. That means more money. That means more money for everybody. It means more college football for everybody. It means, you know, more investment in products. Um, 
And it, this is a money game. I mean, we're, we're talking about NIL now. We're talking about all this different stuff. And people don't like it. Um, they don't want players paid, but it's reality. Um, they don't want a collective bargaining agreement between players and universities. That's going to happen. They don't want free agency. Well, it's here. Um, but the more money our favorite sport can make, the better off we are. The streaming services here are extremely important to, I think, this formula. It feels like... It feels like that yeah. with them, like somebody's got to take the leap, right? Somebody's got to be the first one in the pool and say, hey, we'll do this. We saw Major League Baseball do that, at least with Apple Plus, and say, hey, we'll get into the streaming. But it feels like somebody's got to be the first one in the pool on this one. It almost feels like they're all kind of looking around and being like, okay, which one of us is it going to be? And and we, it's not us. It's going to be you. It's going to be you. But no one's really jumping there. It's almost like that big leverage point everybody has, but no one's jumping in the pool yet for the streaming But it stuff. raises the value. It yeah, absolutely. No, it's a huge leverage pool. I mean, sure. listen, just having the the Amazons and Netflix of the world and, and those people just thinking that they might jump in here or whatever. Um, that's great. That's great for college football. It's great for the amount of money that they can get from advertisers and from TV. You know, you could argue Peacock um, with NBC. Mm. Um, you sure. know, because NBC's Notre Dame's going to get a hundred million. You know, there was talk prior to this Big Ten announcement that they were going to, you know, shoot for $75 million, blah, blah, blah. They're going to get 100 And you just watch them get it. And people are saying, well, there must be a lot more Notre Dame fans than we know of. No, it's fear of losing them. That ESPN, to their credit, and they're, listen, they're probably not in great financial shape. They overpaid 100 years ago for the TV rights for all of these conferences. And... Mm -hmm. Then people stopped watching cable and cable boxes started getting unplugged and you had all the, the wire cutters or whatever cable cutters and they just, it was a horrible investment. So they finally said, listen, we're not going to do this. We're not going to overpay for this. Now it could be to the big Ten's detriment because ESPN's still a, a, a monster mammoth corporation, or it could be to the benefit of, college football fans because ESPN's ABC. So now you got CBS, you got Fox, um, NBC is going to get in play here, obviously, probably, you know, beyond Notre Dame uh, with the big 10. I, I just think it's, it's good. Um, I don't think Notre Dame needs a conference and I'm not rooting for them not to join a conference. I'm not, you know, they should be independent, but why join any place? I mean, this just speaks volumes to, if you're willing to pay for a tier two, three thirty Big Ten game through the nose, of course you're going to pay for Notre Dame because there are people out there. Notre Dame's the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL. They're the New York Yankees of Major League Baseball. People will watch them to either hope they lose or hope they win, but they will tune in. Uh, the sub rumors, obviously, though, that NBC will get in the Big Ten game right at this point. Mm -hmm. And 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 there's a there's a structure by which if you think through this, you know, the Big Ten can have a game in all three windows. Right. So that that noon kickoff, that three thirty and that that prime time, seven thirty eight o'clock kickoff, a game in all three windows on three different networks, which would be NFL model. If you think about it from that standpoint, how do you think the Notre Dame feels, though, about uh, another another school or other conference kind of elbowing in on their TV thing and getting on, getting on the NBC platform. Uh, I, I think NBC has got enough money where we don't have to worry about it. They're not going to lose Notre Dame. It's been a longstanding relationship, you know, for ESPN to say no to the big 10, they're not saying no to college football. If NBC said no to Notre Dame, it would be in many ways to people saying no to college football, even if they do get involved with the big 10 um, and then wait till the SEC gets to renegotiate and, and, that's what's <laughs> that's what's going to happen here is the Big Ten is going to get those slots you mentioned. You know, all of the networks are going to go in on the Big Ten. And then when it's the SEC's turn, they're just going to exponentially increase those numbers. And it's going to be a battle for those windows. Um, we're going to see Saturdays no longer be the, the lone tradition. I know we have the rare Sunday game and we have the rare Monday game at the start of the season. And we have Thursday and Friday football. Friday football never really took off. Um, yeah. We're going to start seeing more days of the week for college football and real good games. It's not going to be, you know, Maction or Fun Belt. It's oh, like, Maction. Come on, Mike. Great, Tuesday night Maction. But you're going to have like legitimate college football games spread out throughout the week because one day doesn't hold it. And, and that's where the additional 
money is going to come for these universities is like, okay, let's do this. Amazon Wednesday night football. And we're going to throw a ton of money at this particular program or this particular uh, conference. And we're going to have, you know, real legitimate games on Wednesday nights because there's no comp competition, you know, NFL yeah. Thursday and Sunday and Monday. Um, that's what's going to happen here. So I don't think Notre Dame cares. I think they're fine. Hey, listen, NBC, you spend your money that's not ours any way you like, but it's not competition to them because, again, every TV deal here solidifies Notre Dame's possibility to stay in, independent. It doesn't – everybody saw that deal yesterday and like, oh, my God, Notre Dame's going to beg to join the Big Ten. No. They're sitting back and they're like – their accountants are like, well, this is the number we thought we were going to get. But look at that. I'm crossing that out. Look at this number. It's bigger. We're going to get more money. And that's how they're always going to be. I assume this is this is good news for Pac-12, Big 12. Obviously, they're both in negotiating windows. Pac-12 currently, I think Big 12 and, and the new commissioners open up their window. ESPN now has a bit of a void inventory-wise. And for ESPN, this is an inventory game, right? More games on shelf, if you will, uh, for people to consume and buy. So I assume this is, this is good news for both Pac and, and Big 12. Do you think this stem some of that realignment stuff do you think that brings that back up now that that's in, in focus or do you think we get a chance just to have the season and not worry about this nonsense till after the season's over no realignment i don't think we're going to see any more movement on you know behind the scenes of course i mean obviously texas and, and oklahoma were occurring behind the scenes for the last couple of years um usc ucla wasn't done in a day i mean that was that was you know obviously well over a year in the making but it's good news for college football fans too because you're going to see more of a you're going to see more of a balance. Um, you know, that that 1030 late night spot on Saturday night is extremely, extremely important um, to ESPN because they want to be the network that gives you college football from noon <clears throat> Eastern time to 1030, you know, Eastern time kickoff. Um, so that's going to be important for them. It's going to be helpful to the Pac-12 and the Big 12. I still think the Pac-12 and the Big 12 will eventually have to get together and form a big Pac-12 or whatever they want to call it. Um, and I think we'll have four major super conferences with the ACC as well. But this is good news too, because the ACC TV deal isn't great either. Um, but what happens is in this market, just like in the wide receiver market in the NFL, when somebody goes to renegotiate prior to their deal being up or just gets a contract when their deal is up, it raises the market value of everybody else. So we saw it with A.J. Brown, who had to be traded. But we see DB, Debo Samuel, D.K. Metcalf, uh, you know, McLaurin, all these guys getting paid because the first guy got paid. And now you're going to start to see these other conferences get paid because of the ability of the Big Ten. And then the SEC, with their counter, um, is going to make this more lucrative for everybody. So the fear of the super conferences where it's ESPN and Fox, um, you know, Fox being the Big Ten, which will turn into the Big 26. I think that's a little bit, there's a little less fear involved with that now. Um, but four is the number. I don't see five. I think we're going to end up with four super conferences. We'll keep an eye on that. And this uh, this next story, Mike, this is a kid that's going to be playing in one of those uh, super conferences. Maybe not the one we thought. Who knows? I'm not sure what we think of this. But uh, so you and I did a quick Twitter space about a week and a half ago now. It seems like a, a decade ago. And, and that conversation, a lot of the topic was Malachi Nelson visiting Texas A&M the time you were sort of like hey this is what kids do he's going to go check it out you know no harm no foul here and as time has gone on though more and more folks are saying hey maybe there's some there's some smoke here what's the latest you're hearing about malachi and texas a&m is he still firm to usc what can you update us in terms of, of where we are with malachi nelson right now yeah I, I think he's i mean obviously still committed to usc um i think they're the favorite you have to look at you know, recruiting from a 10,000 foot view, you, you you just put two and two together and you see he committed to Lincoln Riley when he was at Oklahoma and then he commits to Lincoln Riley when he was at USC, he loves Lincoln Riley. But the people I spoke to said that this was a business trip and this was a trip that he would really hate himself if he didn't take. Um, because of that number one recruiting class at Texas A&M. Now, this isn't all NIL, just like everything's not NIL. Um, part of it is, you know, wanting to win, wanting to be the best. He's going to make money at USC, especially he would make more money at USC as a local kid, you know, as a quarterback in that LA market, you're better off 
than being a quarterback in, in the Texas market. Uh, that's what Quinn Ewers quickly learned when he went to Ohio State and went back home to Texas. Um, but this kid's already worth more than a million dollars with no USC, Texas A&M, NIL money. Um, that's just the way it is when you're the number one player in the class. He's the number one player to me in the class. Um, and you're a great quarterback. You, you know, he's, he's the one paying for the trip. You know, he's the one footing the bill to go to Texas A&M, which is so – it's hard for people to get their, their arms around it um, that these kids have money. But originally the thought was he was going there with his USC commitment teammates, you know, one of the – who's a teammate on his team and one of them who's in this class to, to you know, try to make sure they didn't decommit. Um, they didn't make the trip from everything I've told. You know, sources who were with him at the visit told me he had a very good visit. This was just him, um, you know, trying to strike up a relationship with Jimbo Fisher, see what they have to offer, see that number one recruiting class and, and the talent that's around there. And the one thing Texas A&M has sort of struggled with is quarterback play. Um, Kellerman was okay, not great. Certainly last year, quarterback play held them back. Um, so he's intrigued. But here's what here's what's really going to happen is he takes that visit. It might open him up to taking some other visits. But this is just going to make USC step up their game. And I'm not talking their money game. I'm not talking their NIL game. I'm talking their recruiting game. Like when he comes back and his head's turned by Texas A&M, then Lincoln Riley and his staff have to do that job to get him back in love with them. And I think that's the process that's occurring. You know, it's been a, over a week since his visit. Um, everything I've heard is that Texas A&M is a real player here, but USC is still his commitment. How many, and maybe not Malachi specifically though, Mike, but how many kids are taking these trips to find their second school, right? To find that school that, Hey, I'm, I'm committed to school X. I'm going to go there. I go there a year. doesn't work out, but I visited schools Y, Z and B, right? So now I kind of have that. How many, how many kids are in your mind? Is that a phenomenon at all? Are people visiting schools to set up maybe the next school or the next move if it doesn't work out where they are? They're not thinking that because kids are narcissistic, egotistical, and they all think they're going to be NFL players. Um, yeah. But I think it's really good for them to take those visits and compare simply because of the portal. So that's not the thought in their head. Uh, the thought in his head is not, oh, geez, if I don't win the job at USC, maybe Texas a and would be a good backup choice for me. No, his thought is I'm you know, Malachi Nelson, I'm the number one player in the country. I'm going to go to USC. I'm going to start for three years, make billions of dollars and be a first, you know, number one pick in the draft. That's every kid's thought process because that's the way they have to think. But doing their due diligence now is more important than ever to me if I'm advising them. And I'm not using the word transfer because it's a negative term. Um, I'm using the word business trip. You know, mm. so if Malachi Nelson comes to me and I'm, I'm advising him on the process, I'm saying, yeah, due diligence, let's take a look at his Texas A&M program, see what they have to offer. You'd probably be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't. Uh, let's make sure you do. And this is an extremely loyal kid. You know, everybody I talked to said that this was difficult for him to tell Lincoln Riley and the staff, I'm going to take this visit. Very difficult for him. Um, he, he doesn't want to be disloyal in, in any shape or form, but here's the thing in his head, Caleb Williams went to Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley left. Now, if anybody at the beginning of last season predicted Lincoln Riley was going to leave Oklahoma and go to USC, then they should be playing the lottery because they're, they're Nostradamus. You just never know what's going to happen. So people say, oh, Lincoln Riley just signed this huge deal with USC. He's not going anywhere. Well, you don't know. Dallas Cowboys, you know, could come knocking with an astronomical amount of money. And that could be the yeah. job he's always wanted. And he could be gone in a year. You don't know. So you have to take these visits, not only for that backup plan, but just to make sure that you're doing the right thing for yourself. But if you're a coach, that's absolutely a strategy, right? Get these kids on campus. 
now, even if you don't win them now, you win them on the second go around, particularly when you're a smaller school, you know, I have the top 50 still up on the screen here, right? So Wake Forest, right? Get into a recruiting battle with Alabama. Know you're going to lose it, but be be positioned for when that kid goes there and says, hey, I didn't get any playing time this year. Where do I go? Hey, there's little old Wake Forest who's back here. You saw us already liked us, right? That's absolutely a strategy coaches are employing, no? It's it's yes, it's different because of the portal and and now of course they didn't pass the the rule of unlimited transfers, which I think is good. You know they 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 hit pause on the portal windows and the unlimited transfers because they need to go back and look at it a little bit more and put some thought process into this before you just pass these rules. But staying in contact with a kid post commitment is different now. It used to be like, hey, you sure you made the right decision? Now it's just like, hey, how you doing? You know, because you don't know in in two years, you know, it's like you just don't know whether you're going to be recruiting that kid again in the portal now Um, and getting any kid on campus for any visit is great because you get to learn more about them. Let's say, you know, a kid goes to your school and, and, and visits and he's a complete moron, right? And he's a jerk. You learn something about him. You don't want to deal with him in the portal. Or let's say you learned a lot about him as to what type of offense he wants. And let's say a new coach comes in there and changes his offense. And, hey, remember us? And, again, that's tampering after they're mm-hmm. gone to university. But we know that exists. But right now it's not. So, you know, if I'm recruiting Malachi Nelson, I'm going to continue to stay in touch with him. Um, if he wants to stay in touch with me now, if I'm Malachi Nelson, I'm not talking to anybody. I don't want to talk to them. I'm certainly not talking to like, let's say, you know, there's a school out there that's, that's, you know, 10th on his list and they keep DMing them or texting them. I'd be like, listen, you're not in play here. Let's just, you know, move on. Uh, but if they're a school of consideration, then it's, it benefits both parties to stay in contact. So yeah, that's changed. It used to be, honestly, back in the day, schools could tell a kid to go to hell. And I've known coaches that have done this. I've known coaches that have made mothers cry when their kid didn't choose a school. They would get on the phone and they would berate the parents and the kid for making a stupid decision. And all of a sudden, you can't do that now. Now, on the flip side, as a kid, you should not disparage a program by taking one hat and throwing it away or, sure. you know, I just saw a kid do a Jersey presentation thing where he, he put on the wrong Jersey and ha 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 joke or whatever. He did a video or just, you know, kind of like trying to be surprising and he chose one school, but it looked like he was going to choose the other. No, all of that stuff should go away and relationships should be maintained um, simply because of the portal. Let's get into top 50. Mike has got his top 50s each and every week. Uh, we've got some riveting ones, as riveting as offensive linemen. Mike, this is probably even more riveting this than that. You've got the top 50 edge rushers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, high and uh, high and dry, you went looking for the top edge rushers. And mm-hmm. surprise to nobody, Will Anderson features at number one on this list. Um, yeah. Did you? How, uh, could a, a fifth grader could have written that in there, right? Like somebody in kindergarten yeah. could have could have had uh, had him number one, right? It's really I've done the quarterback list, running back list, wide receiver list, tight end list, O line list. It's the first list where nobody complained about number one. And you know, so so Bryce Young versus C.J. Stroud, you know, B. John Robinson, you know, versus Trevion Henderson. You know, wide receiver groups pretty deep. Michael Mayer versus Brock Bowers. Every position was sort of debated at the top this one nobody even said anything about number one which was great now every two through 50 they all hated in every way shape or form because that's life uh, miles murphy was way too low um you know nolan smith's way too high uh on and on it goes but to me you know this is a difficult list to put together because i did edge versus d-line differently mm-hmm. So D-line's coming next, and it's just a pain because edge is guys that come off the edge. So do you include linebackers? You know, I mean, Trenton Simpson blitzes a lot for Clemson, or he has the ability to blitz a lot. Noah Sewell can blitz for Oregon, but they're linebackers, so I kept them at linebacker. Willie Anderson plays linebacker, but he's a pass rusher. He's a situational pass rusher with his hand in the dirt when they need him to be. And then there's the D-line. There's the DNs that are run stuffers. You know, where would you put George Karloftis last year on this? Would he be an edge or a D lineman? 
Uh, and then of course, D tackles belong on the D line list. So to me, this is kind of the hardest. The, the offensive line was my favorite to do so far um, because it took a lot of digging and a lot of research and a lot of phone calls and a lot of feedback from people. This was kind of difficult because now I got to follow it up the D line. And of course, there's going to be idiots out there when I put out the D line list and Will Anderson's not number one, they call me a moron and say, how, how could you possibly not have Will Anderson number one on your list? Because people are pretty stupid. And so I'm going to have to deal with that stupidity. You've got uh, Dallas Turner at five. So two Alabama guys in the top five. Um, I assume that means you feel like this is going to be a pretty stout, uh, stout edge rushing unit here for Alabama this year, which is probably no surprise. Yeah. A little ridiculous. I mean, five, five might be high, you know, I mean, he came on at the end of the season, but his, his ceiling is, his ceiling is as high as Will Anderson. And people are going to say, well, that's stupid. Will Anderson should have been in the Heisman. You know, discussion, he probably should have won the Heisman. If you if you, you can make an argument, he was more important in Alabama last year than Bryce Young was, and Aiden Hutchinson made it to New York, and no way he should have. Will Anderson's numbers dwarfed his. Dallas Turner is a freak of nature. He's ridiculous. Um, he's going to obviously get less attention than Will Anderson, and we saw what he could do last year in his infancy. So this one-two punch from them is going to be absolutely crazy insane. Um and they've had crazy insane in the past. I mean, when you look at their defensive lines, maybe not so much in recent years, but going back to the Jonathan Allen years, I mean, they had four guys that were NFL players lined up across the board um, that you just couldn't stop. Um, this is two edge guys that you just can't stop. It's, it's, one, it's going to go down as one of the best one-two punches that edge ever. You also got two Auburn guys, if I'm seeing this correctly, uh, in your top 20. Um, how uh, how stout do you think that pass rush is going to be? Um, I mean, Auburn, they're an interesting one to project. Um, Hall is a very good football player. Um, you know, statistically, he doesn't match up to Will Anderson. Nobody does. But, you know, there's an argument you could make for him to be two or three in the SEC. Um, I think their defense is going to be good. What I worry about for them is the offense. And, and Harson's an offensive coach, but they don't have a quarterback. Their one-two punch at running back is amazing. I absolutely love it. Um, but wide receiver is a big question mark as well. So I'm not so worried about Auburn on the defensive side of things. You know, maybe some of the losses at linebacker and defensive back um, could hurt them. But it's the offense that I worry about more for Auburn, um, you know, they relied so much on Bigsby over the last couple of years. Their offensive line isn't very good. Uh, it's not very deep. And that's not Parsons' fault. That's Gus's fault. Gus under-recruited O-line for the last, like, three or four years he was there. They've got holes on that side of the ball. But defensively, they should be able to provide a pass rush. Who's a name on this list people don't know a lot about that you think they're going to quickly learn about? That's a good one. Um I'm going through it. I I kind of like the upside. Uh, Jordan Birch is 50, right? So I, I think he's going to be outstanding. And, and I have him 50 just based on what he's done so far. But athleticism and, and the ability to, to come off the edge and use his hands and all that stuff. I think what I saw in high school was a five-star prospect. And I think we're going to see that on the field this year. Um, so... To me, he's he's an interesting one to look at at the end of that list. I'm I'm very curious, um, you know, to see what Zach Harrison does at Ohio State because he's mm -hmm. such an underachiever. Um, where I think you know Birch is going to break out. I'm not sure if Harrison's going to take a next step back. Jared Verse, uh, the transfer in from Albany. I'm kind of giving him the Jermaine Johnson benefit of the doubt. Um, because he's such an elite pass rusher at his level, at the FCS level, but it's a huge step up to make. Um, and Chopper Robinson going to, to Penn State is extremely in interesting to me as well because, you know, he's such a hybrid guy, uh, but they haven't, they haven't really utilized hybrid guys as well as I think they should have. And everybody's going to say, well, geez, I mean, look at Micah Parsons. Well, he was in middle. Um, hybrid edge guys, I think they, they could do more with at Penn State, and I think Chop could be that guy. 
Again, you can find the Feral 50 on Mike's social media stuff. That's uh, Twitter. That's also Instagram at Sports or Mike Farrell Sports, uh, the website. Uh, we got some time. Mike is yeah. pissed off. What is Mike pissed off about this week? We've got a, first of all, if you're not following Mike on Twitter, make sure you do that now. Mike's doing this new thing now where I don't know if he just wakes up, he's having an egg sandwich, a bird chirps at him, whatever, and he just turns his camera on and starts ranting in there and telling you a little bit what's on his mind. So you get those little Mike Farrell vignettes throughout the day, which I think is awesome, Mike. But bigger forum for you here, a little bit more time for you. What has you pissed off right now? You know, and I haven't been doing it as much, and I should do it more. It's it feels kind of campy, if that's a word. Is that a word? Hey, campy. You just made it a word. I mean, I can mm -hmm. I can search it if you'd like. I mean, it feels derived, but it's not because I am an angry person and I am pissed off on about a lot of stuff. But you know me. I mean, I dip in and dip out of doing things. I've got ADHD. There's no doubt about it. So I will be all in on podcasts one moment, and then disappear and forget about them for seven days especially if they don't do as well as I want them to. Um, and I'll focus on their stuff and I've got 58 things going on. So pissed off, Mike, I did a couple this week. JJ McCarthy being a five-star quarterback was pissing me off because we did an article about how Jim Harbaugh can't recruit five stars at quarterback. And people pointed out Shea Patterson and I'm like, okay, that's a transfer. And he didn't live up to five stars at all at Ole Miss. So let's talk high school. And they said, JJ McCarthy's a five-star. And I'm like, no, he's not in any world. He was a four-star at Rivals. He was a four-star 24-7 in their personal rankings. He was a four-star at ESPN. And somehow this 24-7 composite made him a five. And so I was doing the math. I'm like, four plus four plus four divided by three is four. There's no five. You cannot get to five. You're not even at 4.51 to round up. Uh, to me, he's a four. But people were like, oh, the composite says he's a five. So we got a lot of flack for that. I, I'm really annoyed and tired and, and it's been stopped because of this um, Gundy thing. I'm really annoyed and tired with Oklahoma and, and, and Notre Dame fans disparaging their former coaches, uh, mm. that they're no longer good coaches. And that's not every Oklahoma fan or Notre Dame fan. It's just the stupid ones. Lincoln Riley was a good coach. Sorry, he was. He went to three playoffs under him. Um, Brian Kelly was a good coach. You know, argue great if you want for both of them, but good, there's no argument. Brian Kelly went to two playoffs, played for a national championship. The, the shoes that these guys have to fill are, are overlooked by fans. Brent Venables mm -hmm. is a first-year head coach stepping into a situation where he has to replace a guy who went to the playoffs three times. Yep. Um, you know, Marcus Freeman is a first-time head coach who has to step into a situation where he's replacing the winningest all-time coach at Notre Dame ever. Yeah. So, you know, let's stop with the, you know, uh, what is it? T-B-O-W for Lincoln Riley. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you what that means because it's cussy. Um, but he doesn't suck. He wasn't a bad coach. Oh, the team never got better. Regress. Kyler carried us. The defense always sucked. Yeah, okay. But you still made the playoffs. You know how hard it is to make the playoffs three times? You know, let's see Venables make the playoff in, what, three out of five years? And then talk mm -hmm. to me about how Lincoln Riley's not a good coach. And let's see Marcus Freeman play for a national title and take Notre Dame to two playoffs in the span of, like, eight years. If, he, if they both do that, then you could say, okay, Brian Kelly wasn't that great. Lincoln Riley wasn't that great. But until they do it, these are good coaches that you're just butthurt. You're butthurt because they left you. And I get that. We've all been left. Uh, but let's just be real about it, man. I mean, just because she left you doesn't mean she wasn't a 10. Mm. All of a sudden, she's a 4? No. It's not the way no. life works. She put on some weight. but um, So I'm not going to look up butthurt. I'm not going to look up cussy, I think you said. Campy, though, is absurdly exaggerated, artificial, or affected in an unusually humorous way. Uh, between Venables See? and Freeman, who has a better year this year? Uh, that's a good one. I've got I've got Venables projected at ten wins, but not winning the Big Twelve. And I got to take Notre Dame at nine and three. So I guess I guess Venables better year, but I don't think either of them sniff the playoff. If you're buying stock in one, are you buying stock in and Marcus Freeman or Brett Venables? I'm buying stock in Freeman. Uh, yeah. I like Brent Venables. Um, you know, I've, I've met him. A few times personally, talked to him. Nice guy, super high energy, makes me look like, 
literally like I'm a corpse when I'm near him because he's just so high energy. Um, I am the opposite of that. I, I, mm. I weekend at Bernie's is me compared to him. Um, sure. He would be dragging my, my dead body around. Great guy, but I don't know. They're going to the SEC. Uh, recruiting is good. They're doing well, but it's a harder road for him, I think. And, and that sounds funny because Notre Dame is all the pressure in the world and all this stuff. But Marcus Freeman, the way he's been recruiting is unlike anything I've seen at Notre Dame since the, the, the blue chip magazine days in the early 90s when Notre Dame always had a top five class just because no one had ever seen any of them. Uh, it's crazy what he's doing recruiting wise. So I'm going to give him the slight edge. I think they're both good fits, but I also think both of them are not going to live up to their predecessors. There's no way Marcus Freeman is going to a national title and two playoffs. And there's no way Brent Venables is hitting the playoff in three out of five years. Luckily you're not dead corpse on this show. That would be really, uh, really interesting content. Um, Speaking of content. Depends. I can, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Carry us. Um, speaking of content, Mike for sports.com update us. What's going on? What can we expect? Any new articles coming out soon? Give a, give us some plugs on what we can expect there. All right. So I'm working on the D line and then I'll do linebackers. And then I'll do um, the defensive backs for the feral 50 stuff. I'm doing a feral 50 top transfers. The transfer cycles over as of August 1st. So I'm going to go through the 50, best transfers from last year, probably do the top 50 defenses, top 50 offenses, just 50, 50, 50, but I'm going to do a lot of 15. Just put up the article about the top 15 teams that aren't scary anymore. Nebraska at the top, number one. And my reasoning for why they aren't scary, actually had to justify that on a couple of radio shows this week. Um, it was it was entertaining to say the least at, at to how delusional certain radio people are when it comes to the team they cover. Um, oh. I'll, I won't give examples. But I was going to drop some names, Mike. Let's go. No, let's no, let's no, get no, some cotton. No, okay. But I will say, like, how can you say this program is not scary anymore? I'm like, oh, you haven't won a national title since the 90s, and uh, you haven't scared anybody since the early 2000s. Like, who are you? Like, of course you're not scary. No one's scared of you. They used to be. They're not now, but they will argue about it. It's it's pretty funny. Um, what else? What else? Oh, rankings. High school football player rankings are finally coming to the site. I did the quarterbacks. It hasn't been released yet. Um, I delved into it. I've been taking my time with this. You know, where's Arch Manning going to fall on this list? He, I could a little preview for you. He ain't number one. <laughs> He's not the number one quarterback in this class. It's, it's not even close. Wow. But those are coming too. So I'll have quarterbacks running back. I'll probably release those every few days. So keep an eye out for that. You know, listen, people only care about my rankings if they favor their team. And that's been the case since I started doing this. Um, so you could take them or leave them. I'm no expert. You know, rankings are subjective. It's my opinion. It's one person's opinion. I've been right as wrong as much as I've been wrong. So wrong as much as I've been right. That's coming though. Rankings are exciting me. MikeFarrellSports.com is where you can find all that stuff. Again, M. Farrell Sports and, and all the social media. Oh, do you want to tease will... you want to tease more about that? or I'm not, I can't <sighs> contractually, okay. but um, ah, it's going guy. to exponentially increase traffic to okay. my site, which is great because the more traffic, then the more resources I have, um, you know, and, and the more resources and ability to sell sponsorships and ads and stuff like that just gives back to you. I've got to make a living. Obviously, I got to feed this this enormous body and, and pay rent. Um, but after that, everything I make is going to be put back into the product and you are going to benefit from it. So it's good news in that respect. Awesome. Well, again, make sure you're following along with Mike. Uh, uh, subscribe to the podcast here on the Believe Network. Check out that YouTube channel. Hit subscribe on that. Uh, anytime uh, something comes up, you'll get a notification. So we'll make your life a lot easier. Yeah. And uh, and and check back. Listen, one thing Mike's not going to do with this new found uh, partnership is probably agree to a regular podcast schedule. I will do my level best to keep him on task with that. But uh, listen, it's like it's like wrangling you know a herd of cats over here. But we'll we'll make annoying. it work. Mike. I annoy myself so much because what did I do? I hit you up Thursday. I said, could you do Thursday? You're like, I can't do Thursday. And then we're like, okay, I could do Friday. And then I blew you off Friday. I didn't yes. talk, didn't talk to you Saturday. Didn't talk yeah. to you 
Sunday. Sunday, yeah. And then yesterday I hit you up, can you do a podcast? And you're like, oh, I could do one tomorrow. And then I said, yeah. okay, let's do one tomorrow. I'm just, it's so annoying. I annoy myself. I can't stand being around myself. So I get it. Um, but the thought of, you know, let's do a podcast Sunday night for a Monday release. Let's do one Wednesday night for a Thursday release. I can't do it. I can't. Mm. I just don't, there's something wrong with me, ADHD or something. And, and you know what? If I had more than 94 subscribers on my YouTube channel, <laughs> then maybe I would do it. But that's pathetic. Okay. It's almost like talking to myself. Okay. Uh, maybe we should do a show where it's like self-help with Mike Farrell. Maybe maybe that's more of uh, oh, your lane. That would be 10 times more interesting than me yeah. talking about football. Me talking about regular life. You know, I mean, what 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 type of uh, experience I had in the bathroom earlier today? Whatever. Yeah. Oh no, trust me. Ten times. I, know, I don't want to trust you. I don't want to trust you. Uh, maybe we'll start with the small stuff. Do you like self checkouts at grocery stores, or do you want do you want someone to check you out for you? Oh God, no! I, I don't want any human interaction whatsoever. Self checkouts <laughs> are my dream. I don't want. Listen, I don't want the. The, 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 the checked out 80 year old, you know, slowly scanning my crap and yeah. putting it in the wrong bags or, or the shame. The judgment. As, I knew you were going to go judgment. Yeah. When you get the double wide bag of or like Oreos. Oh yeah. I mean the shame of my diet, you know, Oh, well, look at this, you know, seven cases of bang energy drink and 16 <laughs> cartons of ice cream with some lucky charms. What, what, what are you five? I don't need that. But I also don't need the judgment of not having my own grocery bags. Ooh. Like, oh, wow. What's that about? Like, that, mm -hmm. I know that's a COVID thing and it's changed and all and recycling and save the planet and all that stuff. But when you go up there without bags, they judge you. They're like, oh, mm -hmm. you need bags? Yeah, yeah. I'm not killing the planet. All right. You drove here probably in, you know, a, 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 a car that just it, emissions haven't been checked in 50 years. So don't give me garbage. Cause I don't have bags. I don't need that. Self-checkout's my way. Lot to unpack with that. I'll, I'll, I'll tackle this off air for all of you so you can get back to your college football. I'll, I'll hit Mike. I'll, I'll pin him down to the paper straw, which I think is a, uh, a huge <sighs> the integration on society. Yes. Made in the world. See this straw, see how yep. plastic that is. Now listen, yep. I like turtles. I don't want them to choke, but I don't, I'm not drinking out of a paper straw to save their lives. Plastic. Mm. Mike likes turtles, and that's all you have to know. We'll catch up with everybody again soon. Getting close to college football. Make sure you subscribe, follow along, Mike Farrell Sports. We will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.